Welcome to another edition of the Rollicking Roller Coaster Ride that is the Rappaport Podcast. I'm your host, John Costello, publisher of Rappaport, and I'm joined today by Sonia Esther Sultani. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Avi Kravitz. Hello, John. And the superstar that is Joshua Friedman. I'm not sure about that, but hi, John. Okay, so before we get into the uh, the meat and the veg of what's happening in the industry, I think we should have a an icebreaker uh, question. And I think it's uh, given the heat wave that's hitting New York. Uh, we're here in Israel at the moment, and we're always uh, constantly stuck in a heat wave this time of uh, year. So, what is your ideal summer weekend, Sonia? So, first of all, it's disconnecting from all computers, social media on Friday night until Saturday night um, for Shabbat. And uh, usually it's having good food, good wine and uh, good company for 25 hours. And that's that's basically my weekend. That's my ideal weekend. And the AC is on for 25 (laughs) hours. Joshua? Uh, I would say something similar, but um, I I like the countryside, so I'd I'd, uh, probably go to the middle of nowhere, preferably somewhere that is not humid, unlike here in Tel Aviv, um, and uh, enjoy the fresh air. Avi? My ideal summer weekend is spending it in summer, somewhere where it's not summer, um, and that would be in the, in the southern hemisphere at the moment. I, I struggle with the, with the heat, but um, a lot of AC, um, cool watermelon, and, uh, and um, good friends. I think John likes the beach, no? Yeah, my wife always laughs at me. She says I'm the only person she knows in Israel that doesn't complain about the weather. And I always say, try growing up and living in Ireland for 35 odd years. <laughs> um, so my, my ideal summer weekend is uh, the three Bs. The beach, beer and bed. And, so, and fact of 5,500 <laughs> um, sunblock. <laughs> Great. So let's kick off. Avi, what's happening in the trade at the moment? Well, we we have kind of been inundated with um, with a, kind of a negative tone in the market, and, and when you look at our our, our news feed on diamonds.net, it's um, it doesn't make for very encouraging reading, um, and it's uh, it's been a bit of a tough year, I think, for uh, for the diamond industry. But um, when we look at it in context, uh, there's a lot that the industry needs to um, needs to do in terms of its uh, its structures and the way it operates. But there's also a lot of positive things that are that are happening out there, and it's a matter of really ironing out um, ironing out uh, the the negatives and and focusing on those positives. So, Sonia, reading the news feed on Diamonds.net, and I think any other you know, credible news source for the industry. Um, it does seem a lot of uh, bad articles with, with a mixture of good. Like, what's your take? How, how do you feel uh, the, uh, what's the temperature of the industry at the moment? It seems like the high-end jewelry market is doing well. We had a few news about um, Richmond in, um, in Asia doing well. Uh, it's always driven by Cartier and Van Cleef and Arpels. The, the Chinese market is really keen on these on these two brands. They're um, heritage brands, but they've really managed to to capture the imagination and uh, the desirability of the the young market in Asia, and also in in North America. Actually, that's, I think that's across the board. So they're doing very well. Um, we saw the opening of a Gucci boutique, high jewelry, first time in the history of the house that they have high jewelry 
in, uh, in Paris on Place Vendôme. So uh, if you have to be somewhere, I think, you know, when you start on Place Vendôme, it's already stating something. Um, and uh, Gucci is actually today you can get a Gucci bag, you can get a Gucci uh, jumper. You can, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it became more accessible. So to go for high jewelry, I think is creating this extra level of luxury that today's, you know, has been, has become very democratic, actually, uh, somehow, if you, you know, within, within limits. But um, so that's a good news, I think, when the, when the house decides to invest heavily in um, in a high jewelry collection, they launched it very brilliantly during Paris Couture Week in, uh, in July. And I think we had another news in uh, Net-A-Porter decided to launch their um, private, I think it's called um, the EIP, yeah, extremely, extremely important person, yes. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That, tr- that trumps VIP every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the EIP program, it's um, it's uh, invite only. So anybody can go on a computer, on a tablet, on a phone today and order any type of jewelry from Net-A-Porter. They have jewelry ranging from a few hundred dollars to... I checked um, before coming here, $200,000. That would be the top um, top jewelry, Chopard and uh, Buccellati are uh, among the most expensive pieces they sell. But now they have this uh, exclusive uh, concierge personal service um, offering, which you know they only work with a few a few brands at the moment. A Geneva designer I really like, and uh, other big names like Piaget. And I think that's exciting because it shows that there's actually the high jewelry market is, is thriving and doing well. And that's where a lot of big companies like uh, Netaporte thing the money is. Yes. And it is going to hopefully have repercussions down the line as well because you need a lot of diamonds to, to yeah. feed that market. I see that Gucci has also spotted the the opportunity in that high-end market. And it's uh, while it's had a, a jewellery line uh, before, it's, it's really up the ante. And they're offering higher value items now uh, from between $56,000 up to $900,000. So I think that... You know, a, a lot of the the high end retailers and big brands are, are are really focusing on that that high net worth individual niche. Avi, do you see this as a a, a trend? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, as you said, it seems that the high end brands are are doing well, um, and and hopefully it would have a trickle down effect for to the rest of the trade. But um, it doesn't seem that we are seeing that trickle down effect. Um, yet or, or or at all um in fact Joshua you wrote a, a nice piece um um explaining why the um the market for large stones um which would feed into that higher end um bracket on the on the retail side why the the market for large stones um is uh, has been weak and so the, i think that that kind of illustrates what we what we're seeing in the market in general um this year that they, that that consumer demand for diamond jewelry is um okay um and the the segments that are that are strong and some um, markets that are that are are weak um such as hong kong that we're seeing this year um at the moment but, but the the that's not filtering to the trade, and the trade is having a, a, a tougher time. Um, I don't know, Joshua, if you want to go through those um, those factors that are affecting the the large stone market. I mean, firstly, on on the the point about certain market, certain consumer markets being weaker or stronger, I think perhaps what we've seen in in China is um, is really that the demand has shifted from Hong Kong to China because Chinese people aren't traveling as much as they were. So it's um, uh, overall, it's it's a bad news story um the the trade war the the impact on on demand in that region um 
but domestic Chinese demand has benefited from that. And we've seen that from a lot of retailers have have have, have spoken about how they've they've um, seen big declines in Hong Kong, but strong improvement in uh, in China. Um, yeah, and it's not but, only in Hong Kong; it's other markets where which sure. rely on a, a tourist yeah, spending, like uh, um, the US, like, and, yeah. like yeah. in New York, um, yeah. London, yeah. Paris, etc. Yeah, and then in terms of the the big stones, it's um, it's it's been the the impact of or the the, the influences on that market has been more industry based. So, uh, for example, one one of the one of the key factors there, I mean, if you if you look at um, uh, uh, prices of, of of large stones, so polished above about three carats. Uh, they've they've really plummeted this year, um, and a lot of that has come from the fact that uh, diamond companies don't have the same liquidity that they used to have, uh, which has been an, an impact across the whole diamond industry. And um, but uh, because of that, di- uh, companies have been selling off their large diamonds um, at a high rate. Um, it's much more efficient to sell off to, to to offload big diamonds than it is to offload small diamonds because you make money faster. Um, but there's also been uh, there was th- uh, three other factors that I mentioned. Um, um, the uh, the ironic influence of uh, of of compliance on the market that uh, although it's although uh, stronger compliance has, has benefited the trade in in many ways, um, it has also uh, caused a certain downturn in uh, in the high end goods. Um, some of the clients aren't there anymore because of uh, stricter rules, um, which might not be a bad thing. Um, and then uh, uh, finally, just uh, a, um, a a weakness in in, in demand. Um, and, and, and economic uncertainty. And then another interesting uh, uh, factor there is, um, is that these large diamonds aren't as rare as they used to be. Uh, we, we're every, pretty much every week we're hearing about another diamond company that's found uh, a rough diamond above 50, 100, 200 carats. And uh, traders are saying that they, they, they no longer see the rarity in those sort of 20 carat polish that they used to find, hmm. uh, that they used to see. And um, it's uh, it has had a material impact on the market, and, and um, a number of a number of people in the trade have, have mentioned that. So uh, apart from all the the, the the bad news we're we're hearing in the in the market, there are signs of um, positive. Uh, Things that are happening that companies can take advantage of, and as we identified there, I think the consumer, the power of consumer demand, is still holding up. is still relatively robust. Obviously, the U.S. market is driving this, um, but the Chinese market is opening up. Um, companies like Forevermark are also looking at India. So e- even though the trade in India is going through a, a pretty horrific time at the moment, companies like Forevermark are looking to the future and looking to invest in in the billions of people, the billions of consumers w- within the Indian market. So what are the takeaways? What can, you know, the average uh, retailer in the industry or manufacturing in the industry or, or, or diamond trader in the industry, what type of uh, knowledge can they kind of squeeze from the current situation within the market where you can look at it and get quite depressed? Um, but, you know, what are the positive takeaways? What should they be thinking and planning for? Well, I, th- I think the main message that we can take away from this is that, uh, that that's encouraging is that there is a, um, a basis from which to build on when it comes to consumer demand. Um, it's uh, it's a di- a pe- consumers are uh, are still excited about diamonds and they're engaged with the product, but um, companies need to realise that the consumer landscape is changing and um, has been um, ch- uh, changing. It's a very dynamic environment that they're in which they they're working. In. It's interesting in in a, in countries such as um, such as India that uh, Forever Mark is making such a, a big play there. 
it seems that uh, we we know that uh, that India is a uh, is a strong market for for jewelry. It has a, a tradition of buying gold jewelry, um, and there is a an, a general love for for um, adornments. And um, at the same time, it's it seems that branding is becoming more important in India. Um, with the, with the, you know, Titan, which is the biggest jeweler in local jeweler in the country, um, has very strong branding um, through its Tanish product, um, and so there there is a shift um, in in that market, and I think this is a global phenomenon towards um, towards branding and and, and um, brands such as Forevermark is is kind of built into into that narrative that consumers want to to um, want to know more about the brand and about the product where it's coming from um, that it that it meets certain quality um, quality criteria and and they want to buy into that whole story that the brand has to tell and Sonia do you believe that the big brand is a solution for consumers and questions consumers may have in terms of the source of their their goods the products uh, that built their the, the ring that they're wearing and in terms of uh, I suppose ethical standards and and the, the whole long list of, of what consumers and especially Millennials and generation Z is is looking for these days the big brands you know are spending a lot of money advertising how they belong to the um, responsible jury council and their their credential actually it was interesting the netta porter release about the um, new service the new exclusive club you know they they mentioned they part of the um, the responsible jury council so you know they knew they know it's it's a big selling point for for millennials but we see a lot of uh, Independent designers, independent retailers, who also are able to tell you know their customers where they, they source their gemstones from, their diamonds from. That create a relation, I think, of uh, trust and authenticity between them and the, and the customers. So I think you know it's not something that's exclusive to the big brands. And actually, I think the it's the chance of the, the big opportunity for an independent retailer to to be able to say that to to their customers. Yeah, I think it's it's something that I definitely have become aware of is the, the ability of the, the local community jewellery store that they they can emulate what the, 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 the big players are, are doing. But again, they're not after the same market. The big players are after a much broader market, a global market, and that requires a lot of advertising and marketing dollars. But definitely uh, local jewellers, local designers, they have social media. They're much more in tune with their direct customer base. And they can wear their credentials on, on their sleeves, can have nights in the store that they, they you know, focus on the local community, what they're doing in the local community, the organisations that they're involved in that's showing their credentials in terms of ethical sourcing and what they're doing to promote that. So I, I do believe a lot more uh, mom and pop stores and local stores are realising that, that they have a perfect opportunity to to really um, wear their credentials on their sleeve and, and really communicate that to their very local uh, target audience. Um, I think uh, another point is that um, designers can achieve that as well and, and they have this access to an audience through social media, through through Instagram in particular, I think, where they can really relay that message and build their, their brand um, presence. Joshua, looking at the positive side, what positive news stories, what positive themes have you seen develop over the last few months that in between all these bad, bad news stories about, you know, the, the cost of rough, the, the oversupply of uh, diamonds in, in, in the pipeline, what positives have, have you seen? Uh, firstly, the, um, at the 
in in the trade. Um, it's not it's not the entire uh, range of products that are, that's weak. I mean, the diamond market is clearly a a market of many markets, um, and although the smaller and the larger diamonds have been quite poor, um, the the middle range has been has been okay there, or, or even quite strong. The sort of um, just under a carat through to about two carats, which indicates perhaps that the um, the sort of the, the bread and butter um, bridal engagement ring um, market is doing okay. Um, and I think uh, another point that I'd raise would be something that Abby's written quite a lot about, which is um, uh, the increasing importance of technology. Um, for uh, diamond tears, for for retailers, um, the fact that grading is is going for, towards um, more automation, um, and that um, marketers are, and, and and the diamond industry is increasingly um, selling their technology as much as selling their uh, selling their diamond products. Yeah, it's something we saw at JCK, Avi, that the the tech side of the industry was was really quite vibrant and 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 seemed to be uh, engaging an awful lot of uh, people at at the shows and and any booth that had a tech element uh, to its wares was actually uh, seemed to be getting a lot of traction. Uh, do you f- feel that the technology story in the industry is a positive sign? Well, it's it's definitely a positive because um, at the end of the day, it can it's going to enhance the uh, enhance sales primarily across um, the retail sector, but also filtering to the to the manufacturing sector. Um, at at the Las Vegas shows, when when I was walking the the halls and trying to get information about the market, I actually found it quite frustrating, and um, because no one wanted to talk to me about their. Um, about diamond trading, and they, they all sort of steered me to, uh, to 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 their technology and what they what they're doing to to um, provide easier service and and better access to their inventory to their to their customers, and within the loose diamond pavilion, um, and uh, and that's a story in itself. It's uh, I think it's uh, long overdue. The industry has uh, traditionally been sort of accused of uh, of being a late bloomer when it and late adopter to um, to technology, and I think we're seeing more more of this. Um, certainly in the in the midstream that uh, that um, suppliers of polished diamonds are trying to sh- to to show retailers how they can use. Um, the technology that uh, that they've developed to, um, to to enable more efficient inventory, access to inventory, and and enhance their sale um, at the at the retail level at the end of the day. Yeah, it's quite interesting, Sonia. I think when when I was growing up uh, in my teenage years, when tech started becoming uh, very strong, and you had Bill Gates and his beige box, and this idea of the boring PC and the IT geek, I think the way technology has been deployed in the, in the uh, diamond and jewelry industry is more the dare I say the kind of sexy uh, t- technology be able to, uh, helping jewelers, designers, and, and and people being able to spin the story of the wonders of of, of their their design, the wonders of the the diamond story. I think they do it more on social media. I think they're using you know every single tool you can see beautiful feeds. Um, I mean, I do spend a lot of time. I, I think we all know now on, on Instagram every day. Um, I don't know if designers use technology as much. I think they use definitely uh, new ways of communicating that you didn't have available ten years ago uh, to tell the story of you know their creations to to connect with their with their customers, um, aspirational customers and real customers. So. I think that's the big difference maybe between the diamond industry that she needs the technologies, the, the blockchain, the transparency, the inventory, the really cool thing that we can see in the in shows and the designers that are more 
um, about social media and actually now selling on Instagram as well, for example. Or I think that's good for them. It's more the, the retail side of things, the new um, e-commerce pl- uh, platforms and the new uh, checkout options that Instagram is offering. But, but what, what I think is um, is maybe unique in the in the jewelry um, industry is that um, the consumer still wants that uh, traditional relationship with the jeweler at the end of the day. Um, so it's a matter of combining the two. You know, the, it's it's such a it's it's such a it's a high value purchase, and it's such an emotional purchase as well. Often, that um, they that that personal relationship with the with the jeweler needs to transcend, um, you know, any marketing that's uh, going on on online. Um, um, to to develop a, a relationship and then enhance that relationship after the first sale, you know, to develop a, a long term friendship and 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 relationship between the the consumer and the and the jeweler. At JCK, uh, Martin Rappaport at his uh, breakfast uh, state of the industry uh, address, he laid down a pretty big gauntlet for the industry to pick up and it was basically he reckons that a billion dollars needs to be spent on marketing to really secure and solidify the future of the the diamond uh, industry. Now, while a billion dollars is 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 quite a high ladder to to, to climb for for the sector, we have started to see uh, more and more companies invest in marketing. Um, Abby, can you uh, give us uh, some of your uh, highlights of, of uh, endeavors by players within the industry to kind of kickstart or or you know, focus on on driving marketing through advertisements. For, for so long, John, the, the there's been a lack of uh, of marketing in in the industry, and and I, I don't know if we've seen um, a spike in um, in marketing activity. I think we are seeing some um, some effective campaigns um, amongst the brands. Um, uh, particularly, we we're seeing a a, a a return to the theme of bridal this year with um, with two of the bigger brands. Um, Forever Mark and and Tiffany um, launching bri- uh, bridal collections in 2019 for the first time in a long time and um, and this month um, Forever Mark unveiled its um, its its, uh, its social media video um, and and uh, and and broader campaign for for its bridal collection. Um, this is a a. a category that's been softening somewhat in the in the last few years and um and needs some strengthening and so it's very encouraging i think that um that the industry recognizes that they need to invest in um, in the category and it's, and it's seen that the one carat engagement ring the one carat natural diamond engagement ring is seen as the nucleus of of the industry and i think this is probably why and do you agree this is why forever mark and uh you, you know tiffany are, are are making a strong move to to prop that up and bolster it once they see waning uh, interest maybe in that category. Yeah, I mean that, that's been the bread and butter of the of, of the industry for for a long time. I think they are looking at a broader um, range of goods, um, but I think it's more it's more than that. It's a it's a recognition that um, that uh, that the attitude towards marriage and commitment um, has changed. In fact, um, in in both of those campaigns, they don't they don't mention the word bridal or marriage. 
They um, they talk about commitment and um, the message is that uh, this generation of millennials and then you know Gen Z is going to start getting engaged soon as well. That um, they they approach marriage in a very different way, and and therefore they approach the the, the concept of giving a diamond ring um, as an engagement um, uh, ring um, in a in a different way. But Sonia, do you do you think that uh, all these wonderful sleek advertisements, like the DPA has done it, the Diamond Producers Association, um, we have uh, Forevermark doing it, Tiffany doing it, does the or do the millennial generation actually buy this for a generation? That's apparently all about authenticity. When they see beautiful models and and stylized kind of uh, cinematic advertisements, d- does that actually resonate w- with millennials? So there are two things. First of all, I think the the Tiffany ad uh, it's absolutely genius because you could have celebrities there, you wouldn't notice them because it's all about this diamond. I mean, the way like the couple is interacting and you see this diamond sliding on leather on cashmere. I mean, it's it's a beautiful campaign. You have Lady Gaga singing from um, A Star Is Born. So they, they they did it very, very sleekly. And I think what's attractive about it is like with the story being about this diamond, this diamond ring, which is, you know, like also it's a new cut for uh, for Tiffany. They used a very subtle tea in a, in a setting, which is also nice branding and it's done very subtly. Um, the story is really this diamond ring. So the couple, I think you have this way of you can identify to the couple if you want. You know, they didn't overdo this. They didn't do celebrities for this one. That was very clever. So I think Millennial, it's, you know, Lady Gaga, A Star Is Born. It's really cool. It has this, I don't know, I, I feel it's extremely appealing ad. And usually I don't like ads. So, <laughs> <laughs> so and... Um, I'm really um, usually quite critical of all these uh, schmaltzy type of things. So, but this one, I have to say, I was fascinated by the diamond. <laughs> so it, at least it worked with someone who's not exactly a millennial. Um, and Forever Mark, they were very, also when we talk about clever marketing, they chose couples of different ages, different races, different stages of their life, eating pizza, signing the papers for the mortgage. I think, you know, they had a tongue-in-cheek in some of the proposals. Once it's uh, actually the woman proposing to the man going down on her knee during the during the, um, the this commercial. I think, I have to say millennials, Gen Z, I'm not too sure. Maybe the couples were not young enough in uh, the forever mark but um, I don't know even a Gen Z heart must have melted when they see the old couple that have been together since 1968 and the all real couples as well I think that's very important to say all the couples in the forever mark are actually real life couples so. and, and what was refreshing is that it's not um, it's not all all smiles and, and hearts and rainbows and uh, it showed couples in argument um, you know, depicting what a what a real relationship is, and their 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 theme was to be honest about it, and I think that's what what um, millennials are, are looking for is is that um, you know we throw around the word authenticity so so often, and that's what that's what they try to sort of um, uh, get to with uh, with their messaging. And Joshua, when we hear about the likes of Forevermark or Tiffany or the Diamond Producers Association producing an advert for the industry to promote uh, natural diamonds, there was one unique or interesting uh, player that joined that that, that interesting group, which was the Israeli Boris released a a video. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Yeah, they they put out a a marketing video that was um, also trying to emphasize uh, diamonds as um, something real, real and authentic, and they contrasted it with other things, uh, 
that people encounter in life, such as fake news and and um, uh, other other fake things. Um, I think uh, the response was mixed. Um, I think we might hear um, different. I've, I've certainly heard different uh, different responses from different people. Um, but um, uh, yeah, they're certainly certainly they, they certainly recognise that this is um, uh, this this is the uh, the angle that. Um, that needs to be taken. Yeah, they very much took uh, up on the the DPA's real as rare type of thing and and about fake, uh, you know, the fake element of what they call the fake element of synthetic diamonds. Sonia, what was your what, what are your thoughts uh, after watching the the Israeli bourse uh, video? So I don't have a pass to the Israeli bourse. I'm just going to say it, and I think after what I'm going to say now, I might never have one. Um, I think, you know, the industry doesn't need billions. I mean, there could be billion in marketing, but it's just good marketers. Um, it came from a good intention. Um, I personally think it completely misses the mark on so many levels. Um, it looks like an ad for a new startup. I mean, we, we live in a startup nation, but I think we're not selling an app. We're selling a, a luxury product. And um, also, I'm, I have questions about fake I don't think lab-grown diamonds are fake. Um, we can say they're not natural, but we can't say they're actually fake diamonds. So that's, that's another story for terminology. But um, <clears throat> what I found interesting, I looked at it again and again, and I thought, what do I don't like it so much? Is because um, I feel like, um, let's say Sarin, which is a technology company, has done a beautiful campaign recently and they played on the emotional nature of diamonds on the beauty the natural beauty of diamonds so i think it's interesting that a technology company goes for the emotional side and um, mm. and the natural side of diamond and does it and plays it with this beautiful background and people from all different nationalities and ethnicities and um, i think the idea should have maybe played more on the emotional nature of diamonds that's uh, and to to mix fake news fake beauty it's not going to appeal to ladies who use Botox. I'm just going to, <laughs> to throw that one out there. Fake food. What, what about men who use Botox? <laughs> and I'm not looking at Avi Kravitz. <laughs> I think it's a shame because I can see what they try to do, but I think you can't sell two messages. One seems to be directed against the lab-grown diamond industry that has played for so many years against the natural diamond. And I think the natural diamond industry is strong enough without having to go for this. You can just sell actually the beautiful product you have with the beautiful story you have. And um, and just uh, the packaging of it, I think it's really, uh, it's really a shame because I think it came with good intentions. Just before we dig deeper into this and, I get, and I'll get Avi's views, I, I just wanted to give a, a, a good positive shout out to Serene. Uh, that video you talked about and, and anyone listening who hasn't seen that, they should go and, and search it out. It's it is beautiful. well worth uh, listen. But one great thing they did with it, and you're talking about a, a tech company bringing that emotional thing, they, they moved away from using uh, the term inclusions and talked about birthmarks and, and how everyone has their own individual birthmarks and how they tell of a per person's origin and stuff like that. And it was just very nice play in the language and, and where inclusions isn't something that the average person in the street can really understand or connect with on a straight away, but they do get the concept of birthmarks and be able to talk about a diamond and inclusions in that terminology. I thought it was just very smart, clever marketing. So well done to Serene. Avi, the diamond, uh, the Israeli diamond bourse is getting a bit of a, a, a bashion here. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's not because I don't have my, my pass after two years. <laughs> not related. <laughs> what, 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 what were your views on it? 
Well, I, I have my, my pass, um, so I'm not too worried. But um, <laughs> I, look, I'd, I'd agree with with Sonia. Um, the, the, one of the lines that they that they had in the um, in, in the in the ad was what a 30 second clip, and very uh, I found it very um, very busy. Um, so I didn't quite know where to where to look um, or, or what to concentrate or what to focus on. But one of the things that they they said is um, their slogan was "Fake Times, Real Diamonds," um, and I think that's that, that's exactly sort of the the messaging that um, that Forever Mark and Tiffany and and Seren were were um, were trying to avoid. Um, you know, they're recognizing that we're in this noisy world of social media. Everyone's attention has been drawn in so many different directions. Um, but um, at the end of the day, people want, uh, they, they're looking for, for authenticity. And so the, the times are ne- not necessarily fake. The, 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 the times are, we, we're living in a time when, when people are, are, are searching out that, um, that, that, uh, that realness um, and uh, and so th- so actually for me for me and and I agree with all, with all your points, um, Sonia, that um, the in trying to push that message, um, it kind of backfired on them because the the, the ad itself um, d- didn't didn't lend itself to to too much realness for me. Um, it kind of had this trying to be too too slick and and in. <laughs> You know, when when we talk about um, a sleekness of a of a campaign, um, our when we when we were having the discussion in the newsroom, our, our one one or, one or two of our copy editors was having a field day looking at some of the the copy in the in the ad um, that uh, that we really want to. You know, we've spoken about this so many times, um, uh, and and De Beers often um, talks about living up to diamonds. Um, we want all our campaigns, all our products, all our display, all our social media, our podcasts, whatever it is, to live up to the product, um, and that's where I think they they kind of missed um, they missed the mark there that um, that it didn't give the product enough um, it, its due uh, it, it's due. Yeah, I must admit, I think all I think all fair points and. One thing that I would say is that I always think of all the bourses throughout the world, you have to admire the Israeli bourse. It's always trying to push the envelope, investing in technology, trying to get that startup feel in, in, in the Israeli bourse. And it's, it's not an easy thing to achieve. I actually was very positive um, about their advert, more because of the initiative that they're taking, maybe rather than the end product. And I think the, the 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 real shame of it is the Israeli bourse by itself cannot really make a significant impact, and I think if it had joined with the, the bourses throughout the the, the globe and, and joined under one umbrella or worked with the DPA or other brands and actually you know got together a, a, a bit of a unified approach, I think that's much much better. I, I I think it was, you know, maybe not up to diamonds because you know. A bourse is a bourse. It, it it doesn't have you know the top ad agencies in New York working with it like maybe the DPA uh, does. So I do think uh, ten out of ten for um, you know effort. The execution I think left something to be desired. And again, we're doing this all with a good heart. We want the best for our industry. We want to set the bar high as we do for ourselves as well. Um, 
One thing was very interesting, though, when I looked at the the, the, the three uh, advertising campaigns that we saw, Forevermark, Tiffany, and the Israeli Bourse, I went into YouTube just before we came to do the podcast, and I saw that Forevermark, their video had two hundred, uh, t- sorry, 2,631 views since July uh, 11, and they had 12 likes and one dislike. Um, Tiffany, uh, they had 22,000 views since April. Uh, they had 276 likes and, again, one dislike. There's obviously one grumpy person <laughs> uh, hanging out in, in YouTube. It's not me. It's not me. <laughs> and then, then the Israeli Bourse uh, video, which was unveiled at the beginning of July, July 1, they had 116,691 views uh, and they had 75 likes and 11 dislikes. So it's very interesting. Obviously, when I when I dug into some of the comments, now there were only 14 comments, but you had a, a, a lot of you know anti-Israeli rhetoric and stuff like that. But still, that was only 14 comments. So it, it's quite impressive that number of, of views. So you know, Israeli Borsa, well done. Congrats on the views. You know, good idea. Try harder the next time. We're we're all here to support and give you any insight you need. Um, I just want to end up, Avi. You do a, a quarterly a webinar for the Rappaport Research Report, our in-depth uh, kind of analysis of the market that uses uh, bespoke uh, RapNet data to highlight trends uh, in the various uh, categories and the, and movement of goods. Um, as part of that webinar, we do polls, and I, I think the poll that we did at the start, or you did at the start of the webinar, which was just a few days ago, uh, showed an, an interesting uh, difference between the the American market, and you do a webinar just for the American market, and the Indian market. Yeah, I mean, um, firstly, the the theme of the of the webinar was um, sort of looking at the more more um, pressing challenges that the industry is facing. We've we've had quite a positive tone, I think, to this podcast, and we we've um, we've spoken a lot about um, what we you know the opportunities that we see in the industry. But it but it, it really is a challenging time, um, and the and 2019 has been a struggle for for the trade. And so we we asked um, we asked our, our um, listeners or our participants in the webinar what um, what what issue they see as um, the biggest challenge um, facing the industry and and we gave um, and we gave four four options. So the first option was um, was uh, this issue, this lack of profitability. Um, the second was uh, that consumer demand has stagnated. Um, the third challenge would be um, you know, that the threat of lab-grown diamonds, and then finally the issue of trust in the industry—that um, trust has been eroded. And um, when we asked our, our listeners in the in the in the US, the thirty-eight um, percent of of our um, of our colleagues um, on the webinar said that um, that uh, profitability was the biggest issue, but also thirty-eight percent said that some um, stagnant stagnant um, consumer demand was um, was the biggest challenge. So it was interesting that the U.S. market was um, seeing that lack of profitability in the trade, but also. Um, a stagnation on the consumer market and a need to invest more to um, to boost consumer demand for diamonds, and then fourteen um, percent um, said that uh, the rise of lab-grown diamonds, and um, and then eleven percent said the erosion of trust in the industry. When we um, when we ran the same poll um, in the uh, in the webinar f- um, targeting the the Indian market, forty five percent said um, profitability. 
and um, 32% said stagnant consumer demand, 14% said lab-grown diamonds, and um, 9% um, said uh, trust in the industry. And, and I think that's, um, that maybe um, you know, reflects what's happening in India, that um, there is this um, issue of profitability and, and, um, and in the manufacturing sector, which is, um, which is the bulk of the, of the Indian market. Um, so it was interesting to see the, the differences in, in approach of, the, of those, two, um, those two webinars. And w- what I was at least encouraged by was that um, that the the industry doesn't um, see lab grown diamonds as its biggest threat? That there are other issues that um, that if we take care of those um, of those issues, the issue of profitability. If we increase the profitability for for not only the the midstream but also retailers, it'll have a trickle trickle down effect, and people will be less inclined to go into um, synthetics, and there'll be more money to be invest uh, to invest in in uh, marketing campaigns, etc. So. Um, amid all the noise that we've heard about synthetics over the last um, two to three years, it was good to see that um, there's a recognition of um, these more pressing um, issues in the market. Yeah, and I think it reminds me of something I read just as I was preparing for this podcast. Uh, in, in the business world, bad news always means good opportunities for someone else. So on that note, thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Avi. And thank you, Joshua. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, Tim. 